0: Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. I've just landed from a business trip, and of course, I spend much of my life on airplanes. But I had occasion, as I often do, to pass through the Atlanta airport. And oddly, one of the monuments, one of the displays that most moves me about the whole issue of race in America, and here we are in the third of our four-part series on race and our times, but one of the monuments that most moves me about race in America Uh, is in the Atlanta airport. Yes, it is. Uh, Right there at E-Terminal, which is largely the international terminal for Atlanta, although that's changing now, um, is a display, uh, a very nice museum-like display of uh, race, history in Atlanta, specifically the civil rights period, uh, the struggle for civil rights. And there's a great deal, of course, on Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, it's it's really well done. There's some artistic stuff as you go down the escalator, but at the top, when you're going up to the E concourse before uh, what some have described as God's food court, um, there is uh, a really wonderful display that shows some of. Some things that Dr. King owned, and recount some of his speeches, and show some of his letters, and of course there are the photographs, that some of which are familiar, some of which are not. It's tied a bit more to Atlanta, but it's beautifully done. And I have a little bias as a historian. I like public history. I'm glad that we have, in some places in the world, like one of my hometowns, Washington D.C., that we have beautiful monuments and and uh, buildings that encase amazing museums. But I also like it when history is displayed right out in the open. You know, in the middle. Of a mall, we're telling something about our history, or in the middle of an airport, because I think more people see it. Uh, it should, we should do it both ways, both with the sort of you know temple-like approach to museums, but then also the grocery store type approach. <laughs> I like this because it's right there. I have a lot of conversations with people. I have a lot of, I, I tend to stand there and listen to what people say when I have a little time. It really fascinates me uh, because you've got some guy rushing up the escalator and he's pulling along his Samsonite. And then he sees this thing and he looks toward the food court. It looks back towards the display and he looks towards the food court and looks back towards the display. And finally he decides to take two or three minutes to look at the display and you see him, his energy settle down. You see his body rest a little bit and you see his, moved by what he's seeing. In some of those conversations,'ve I've been very aware of the con, of the confusion people feel uh, between culture and skin color. Uh, it's It's interesting as, as I ask people what they think, how old were you when these things happened? Do you remember Dr. King? Uh, you know, do you have a history of racism in your family like I do in mine, et etc, cetera, etc, cetera. what I find is, that people often want to speak of culture, but they don't know how to speak of a culture without making it about skin color. Um, let me explain what I'm talking about. Um let me take you back to a period I've written about uh, when I'm writing about Winston Churchill. At Churchill's time, uh, Ireland was a real mess. Uh, they'd come through the potato famine. There'd been a lot of death, a lot of disease, and a lot of Irish practices, a lot of their cultural practices, uh, a lot of the fact that they got jammed into cities, and the men were much unemployed because of the famine, and you know alcohol reigned, and what have you, and uh, then some of their other cultural practices that spread disease and so on caused the Irish to be seen in British eyes as an inferior people. Um, I remember one quote from one of Churchill's friends described the Irish as white monkeys. Um, what happened was that they, the, some of the Brits, literally believed that the very, very white skin of Irish people um, was somehow symbolic of an inferiority that really, what they were f- referring to, these these British upper crust uh, correspondents, were referring to the fact uh, that the Irish had, at that point, an unhealthy culture in the r- urban areas. They were they were sick. They were dying. They were in hovels. They were they were in difficult situations. And I remember feeling the disparity of the fact that, on the one hand, uh, it's certainly I think is the conclusion of historians now that. Much of British rule, many of British policies created the poverty that the Irish endured, uh, created some of the situations to which some Irish responded in a very unhealthy way, and then criticized the Irish for being unhealthy, being poor, uh, and having a quote unquote lower class culture. And then, of course, associating that with skin color. So, in other words, they looked at the white skin color and said, so Well, that's symbolic of their. You know their their inferiority, this almost luminescent white skin that many of them have, Um, and so this is why their lesser culture arises. This was sort of the conclusion. Of course, today we would say, well, if you weren't starving them to death, they might be in better shape. Um, This is very much what happens today. Uh, People want to talk about folks of other skin color than their own, um, and they 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 can't just accept in their minds and say clearly skin color doesn't make a difference. What they'll do is they'll say blacks behave this way. Asians behave that way. Whites behave such and such a way. Uh, Red skinned people behave such and such a way when they're talking about Native Americans. And the, the The reality is what they've got in their heads is a confusion between skin color and culture. I think we know now, as I've said in an earlier podcast, that there is there's just nothing inferior about a people of a certain skin color. Literally, it's only skin deep. Uh, there's no inherent. We we know that we now. You know, biologically, unlike what was taught in the early eighteen hundreds, that. African-Americans are no different beneath the skin, that we're all pretty much biologically the same. There's no inherent inferiority in any race, but every race can create cultures that are inferior, not just because they're lower socioeconomic, uh, but because they are perhaps cruel or oppressive or violent or, um, or destructive in some way. And so what, what really passes for racism today is a judgment about color that is, I'm sorry, a judgment about culture and the way people behave that is then attributed to skin color. For example, I can easily understand um, a Native American, some of my Native American relatives saying, for example, uh, well, whites are you know, land-grabbing, oppressive, um, con- you know, de- treaty-breaking uh, people um, and we'll get them back with our casinos. I mean, I've literally heard things like that come out of some Native Americans' mouths. Um, what's what's inherent in that statement? There's nothing inherently inferior or superior about whites, but in the Native Americans' experience of whites, there is an expression of culture. And yes, much of that culture, particularly as it related to Native Americans, was inferior. So what we've got to learn to do and what is causing our problem is that we we tend to attribute s- some cultures to certain skin colors, and that's what feeds racism. When I listen to deep racists in the South talk about blacks, I'm talking about white racists talking about blacks, what they've done is they've taken a certain segment of the African-American community uh, it, with certain... Uh, uh, exceptional and and rather noticeable maybe even outrageous expressions of that uh, african american culture and they 've attributed it to a product of skin color, which of course is silly absolutely silly there 's no one kind of african american on this planet there 's no one kind of uh, of of uh, behavior of all people who are uh, black skinned in america that 's just that 's just silly so uh, if you if, I remember talking to a taxi driver who just said, well, they're all they've all got, you know, shower caps on and their pants hanging out below their underwear and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we all know that that is uh, a style within one portion of African-American culture. It has nothing to do with their skin color. It has nothing to do with, with the values all African Americans share or anything like that. No, it has to do with an expression of culture. So this then becomes the confusion. And this is the this is the animosity. This is the, the anger. Whenever I talk to someone who is unashamedly racist, they are not ever making a case about the inferiority of skin color or the inferiority of people biologically, which is, of course, what skin color is part of. They're making a case about a certain segment of a culture, and then they're attributing it to everyone who has that skin color. Now, this may not sound like an, a, an astonishing insight, but I'm moved by it because I, I read both at E-Terminal in Atlanta, a strange place to study history, um, but also in some of the other writings of Dr. Martin Luther King, he said each culture must, and he used the word police, must police its own uh, culture. Each ethnicity must, must police its own culture so that it does not taint the rest of its race or the race that it may belong to or the race that produces it. Um, each culture must police its own. I'm sorry. Each ethnicity must police its own culture, so that it represents its ethnicity in fine and glorious ways. This is a paraphrase, of course. And I, I thought that that's that's a value to us. I no one. I don't think anyone today really believes that people are inherently superior because inferior because of their skin color, but. There are judgments made about all people of a skin color because of certain cultures within or represented by that ethnicity of any given skin color, and I think that I think that this is what Dr. King was trying to say. Whites live out a noble a noble culture uh, you're not inferior because you have white skin, but you have produced an inferior culture when it comes to your treatment of the black man. Police it yourself, change it yourself, make it righteous yourself. So that it not only liberates others, uh, but it takes the stain off of your own ethnicity. Blacks do the same. Uh, there wasn't much difference early in the early days between the message of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and Booker T. Washington. Become people of value. Do your job better than anyone else does it. Take the stain that has been laid unrighteously on people of your skin color. Uh, live out a noble culture. So culture is where the reform comes. You can't, change, you can't reform skin color. You can't, you can't reform ethnicity. What you can do is reform the culture that is produced by people of a given ethnicity. And that's the level at which the battle for fixing our racist problems in this country must be fought. That's where we're going to change this. Whites need to ch- uh, change their culture. Uh, African-Americans need to change their culture. Native Americans need to change their culture. And thus not give rise to the bigoted caricatures that just entrench racism and get passed from generation to generation. I think Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a great man. I hope you'll stop off at E-Terminal in Atlanta when you're passing through, as I have to do often because I fly out of Nashville on Delta. And, uh, and you'll take a look at it. But one of the, one of the uh, sentiments I want you to capture is that Dr. King said pretty much what I'm saying today, and of course I'm saying it because of him. Skin color can not, does not signify much of anything uh, of, of value as far as the, the genuine things of life, character, spirituality, intelligence. Those things, those things aren't products of skin color. Culture, though, does uh, enhance or contain those things. Culture is an expression of those things, and it's the reforming of culture. In which we should put our hopes for the future. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author and popular speaker who coaches and advises leaders worldwide. To learn more about Stephen, log on to stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield podcast is produced by Isaac Darnell, who also wrote and performed the Rockin' Podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production. Chartwell is ingeniously led by Beverly Darnell Mansfield. As a result, all rights are reserved. For more information, contact us through stephenmansfield.tv.